All right, so uh, I think Becky is going to take care of the kids' ministry for us. Thank you, Becky. Uh, what an awesome uh, time off you have here in Iceland, just coming and jumping straight into kids' ministry. Uh, is Svava here somewhere? No. For the members here. For the members. So I want to I jump back into, so I realized last week, uh, Raki told me he, he'd done chapter 6 in Daniel when I was away, uh, before the summer ended. And so we're going back over some texts that some of you, we, you know, like we spent a, a little bit of time on not too long ago, but I, I figured since we started Daniel 6, we would just finish it, and then next week we're going into prophecies. So Daniel 6, uh, verses 16 through 28. That's what we're going to be reading today. Now, Today, we're, yet again, we're talking about faithfulness, but looking at a reality that we see in the book of Daniel throughout the Bible and history, that faithfulness of God's people sparks uh, worshiping others. Now, for, for many, for many the, the story of Daniel and the lion's den, this may be a story that we learned in, you know, Bible, what is it, Sunday school? Yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. Sunday school, you know, some of you remember flannel uh, graphs. If you, if anyone, is that just me? Anyone have flannel things? Okay, flannel graphs of Daniel and Lion's Den. So to us, the story of Daniel may be a little pixelated. Like it may, may be to us as a, sort of a myth or fake because we just learned it as sort of a good story as kids. And not really dwelling on the fact that that's a real man walking in real sands to a real den with real lions and spending the night with them and coming up whole. This is a real story, a story made to instill, uh, for many of us we were taught that this is a story made to instill principles or teach us lessons. But remember as we read these verses we are talking about real people. Real lions, real darkness in the den, and so on and so forth. So let's read these verses with that in mind. Daniel 6, 16 through 28. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, and with the signet of his Lord, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Sorry, I did have a... There it is. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then, at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angels and shut the lions' mouths. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. 
And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell all in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Caesar, uh, Cyrus the Persian. It's interesting looking at just the historicity of these things. Uh, I've noticed some of the scholars, that last verse, they, they taught that perhaps Darius was his uh, name for the Medes, since it was a combined kingdom of the Medes and Persians, and then Cyrus was his name for the Persians. And uh, when, it, when it, I don't know if you looked into the history city of the Exodus, but when the Bible talks about the Israel, uh, Israel walking through uh, dry ground across the Red Sea, and some of the more liberal people who view the Bible and, and sort of see it very skeptically, they say, well, you know, like once, uh, I think there's a time period during the year where you can basically walk this path across the Red Sea and you can basically walk on dry ground. The water recedes and, and you can walk over there. And then <laughs> I saw this conversation when one guy was saying that, that that's really what was happening in the Exodus when they walked on dry ground. And the other guy who was more like conservative looking at the Bible as a legitimate story, he said, wow, that's even more amazing. <laughs> How could the enemies of God, the, the, the army of Pharaoh, drown without water? <laughs> that's, and the same has happened here. When we take, oh, maybe the, maybe the lions were just not hungry when Daniel was there, and then the other people came and they, they you know, were hungry. But they coming in there show that it is not Daniel with his wisdom taming the lions, but God. And when it comes to Daniel, so many other heroes of the faith in the Bible, we, we make the mistake of placing ourselves in that story. I grew up singing a song, uh, in Icelandic, it's Kastanian, and it was for kids. And then the, this, is, this would outrage feminists today, uh, but the, the women would, or ladies would, I want to be like Ruth. You know, and, and the guys would be like, try to deepen their voice, even though we were like six. Uh, I want to be like Daniel. And, and the girls would sing, I want to be like Ruth. Because Daniel was a brave and strong, and, and Ruth was... Something else, I don't remember. <laughs> I focused more on the Daniel part. Um, now, we want to sing that. I want to be like Daniel. And you read Bible stories about Gideon, or Abraham, or Moses, or Daniel, or David, and the list goes on. And, and we usually get a lesson in how you should behave, uh, or an equation of, of ourselves with a hero, that we put ourselves in the story. And, for, and there are for us a lot of examples in this story that we can learn from, for sure. The faithfulness of Daniel, we can learn from. Even to the death, we can learn from. The love of God in the midst of evil. 
Are we going to be dictated by evil things or the love of God? But when we go through the Old Testament, I like to keep the words of Christ in mind and at the forefront of our mind as we read Luke 24 and 25, uh, 25 to 27. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now Jesus is saying that all of the Old Testament is not a mirror for ourselves, but a re, uh, for ourselves to reflect in, but rather a sign pointing to, the Je to Jesus Christ coming and fulfilling that. Now in the book of Hebrews, if you've read the book of he he Hebrews, you see this theme throughout the book that Jesus Christ is greater than. Now if you, if you read through it, you see it in first in, in, in chapter 2, verse 9, Jesus is greater than the angels. Then you go to chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus is greater than Moses. Then in 4.14, Jesus is a, as a greater high priest. You see that again in chapter 6.20. Then you go to 7.20, and it says Jesus gives a greater covenant. Jesus is a greater sacrifice, you see, in 10.10. Jesus is the greater Abel in 12.24. Jesus is the greater shepherd in 13.20. You see this theme throughout the book of Hebrews that one way that the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus is Jesus being the greater than. He's the greater, he's the, he's the bringer of a greater covenant. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than David. And so we look at the, the Bible stories in a new light and we see how is this Bible story, uh, how is this reality that the Old Testament is there to point to Jesus going to affect how we look at the text. Now we look at a man Daniel, who suffered, not for a crime, but for a righteous, righteousness and faithfulness to his God. And we see a man whose righteousness and faithfulness to God directly opposed the people in power. Now, when condemning Daniel in verse 15, what we dealt with last week, it was said, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. And we say to that, well, you're about to read a story where God, in fact, does change the dictation of the Medes in person. Now, in this story, we see that no matter how hard powerful people try to get their way, ultimately, no man and no power can resist the plan of God. And so we see Darius, who finds himself in a position where he believes Daniel to be a righteous man, and he is trying, attempting to free him, and he can't do so. And so in verse 16, he says to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. Now think with me of what we read in Luke 23. We see yet another man of power called Pilate, who sees nothing worthy of death in a man called Jesus. But like Darius, he finds himself in a position where his hands are tied due to another group wanting a righteous man killed. Now in verse 16, Darius hopes for, a great, for, for God to save Daniel from the lion's den, but the faith of Daniel was not really in a God that could temporarily save him from the lions, but a God who can give him eternal life. 
not just delay death, but to kill death, to end death's dominion in all. And I just wonder if, if Daniel knew that in his faithfulness, he was pointing to God who took on flesh and saved us from death once and for all. Not just delayed death, like in the book of Daniel. Because even though the lions didn't devour him, there would come a time where he would die. It's what I, like, it's what I don't understand about uh, sort of health and wealth methods. Like, <laughs> like, how long can it continue? If God wants you to be healthy and wealthy all the time, like there's, there's going to be a time where we all die. Like there's, God has said it that way. We will face death. One day, we will feel the sting of death, but at the same time, the greater victory has been won. Jesus Christ has defeated death. Now, I read these verses, and I'm reminded of the fact that here and elsewhere in Scripture, we see people suffering because of righteousness, not because of their lack of it. If your view of God is that if you do enough good things, you can somehow twist the arm of God into giving you better things. If your view of God is that if I do better, he must bless me, it is a skewed view of God. Because right here, we're reading about Daniel. And he's not suffering because he did something wrong. He's suffering because he's doing something right. He's worshiping his God and not fearing even death for faithfulness to his God. And so if anyone comes and tells you that somehow the blessings of God are tied to your obedience, or the cursings of God will come on you in your disobedience, it doesn't necessarily have to be so. Throughout history, many wicked men have prospered, and many righteous men have died. If anyone deserved only good things, only glory, only praise, it's Jesus Christ, right? Literally the perfect man. He was not just kind of good according to man's standards like Daniel. He was literally perfect. If anyone deserved all of the glory, all of the honor, all of the comforts and blessings of life, it was Jesus Christ, and yet we worship the one who died on the cross. Daniel, he's not here suffering for wrong, doing wrongdoing or, or faithlessness, but rather because of his faithfulness, he's experiencing hardship and suffering. Now, if you walk through suffering or loss, it doesn't necessitate that God is, is punishing you for something. Can that be the case? Yes, that can be the case. But it doesn't always mean that. In the Bible, many righteous individuals suffer for their righteousness, not for their unfaithfulness. So this man of power, Darius, he finds himself in a position where he realizes fully that he truly doesn't have any power in this situation where he wants to save his righteous servant, Daniel. Now Daniel is placed in the lion's den where no one expects him to come back out alive. They close the mouth of the den with a rock and seal it. Now yet again, does this remind you of anyone? Does this remind you of any, any guys that were placed in a rock where a rock was put over the mouth and it was sealed? Any, any, I, think I, I, think it was, uh, I think it was Jesus. Yet again, 
But this king, who now realizes his powerlessness, pleads to the one who has all the power. Verse 16, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. Because Darius can't. He fasts, he doesn't sleep, and he waits for the sun to rise and runs to the grave to see if his hope and prayer was heard by the one in power. Now he approaches the lion's den and he, verse 20 says, he cried out in a tone of anguish. Like a woman who approached the grave of Jesus, their sorrow was about to be turned into praise. Daniel is alive. The grave is empty. God had done the impossible. God had taken the power and displayed his power. He's taken the powerful, he's taken the laws of the Medes and the persons who said this couldn't be changed because it's given by us, and he's shown that truly, no matter what you say or how much power you pretend to have, God is ultimately in control. And this lion's den, just like the cross, was designed to bring about victory to the enemies of God, but it ended up being their defeat. Now the den was a symbol of victory for the enemies of Daniel, but ended up being the place where they would meet their bitter end. Darius takes the men who placed the snare for Daniel and their children and wives and throws them into the den where the lions devour them almost as soon as they land. Now, Darius, when I read that, I, feel, I felt like Darius did what's very popular today. He sends words of praise to all the nations of the earth to tell about this great God of Daniel who saves and delivers. He does miracles and wonders on heaven and on earth, but, throw, but by throwing the, these enemies of Daniel along with their children and their wives, he shows that really he doesn't want to he wants to send out a letter to, with his mouth, bring praise to this God, but he doesn't want to really give him honor by giving himself under the rule of God. Because if he were to read the law of God, he were to read that no child is to be punished for the sins of their fathers in Deuteronomy 24, 16, where God condemns making the children pay for their sins of their fathers. Now, the faithfulness of Daniel sparked a desire in Darius to praise the God of Daniel, but how much, we don't know. We don't know if it was just a word that he sent to all the nations and then he continues to live his life however he wants to. Was his praise only based on temporary delayed death? Or did his heart change and he realized that God that, yes, saved him from the lion's den is also the God who saves eternal souls? Now, where's words sent out that had little effect on his life? We don't really hear much of it. But this is the faith of many today. Just like Darius, we like to say with our mouth, God is great. Jesus is Lord. He is my Savior. Now, I did this for many years. But we don't like to live that way. God is great. All right. How about when it comes to living under having him and his opinion of you be right or a person around you that would despise you for taking a stance for truth. When it comes to that situation, a lot of people are willing to sacrifice truth. 
They're willing to say with Darius, he is the God who does wonders. He's amazing. He's all-powerful. But so many are not willing to live that way. So many, when it comes to the law of God, disagreeing with them and where they want to go, they say, I think I know better when it comes to this. But our faith is in a salad bar. I've been eating too much salad lately. Uh, but I was thinking about this as I was in Hogcook going through the salad bar. And it's like, well, you walk through the salad bar and you sort of like, I want this. I don't want this. I, I figured out some green stuff I really hate. And so I skipped that. Uh, if, if it was just a regular day for me, I'd probably just fill up the whole thing with like pasta or something and just pretend like it's a salad. But that's how many view the faith. It's sort of a place where there's a bunch of dishes and you pick this because you like that. And then you go over that because you don't like that. You'd like to talk about the love of God, but you don't want to talk about his wrath. Right? You love to talk about heaven, but let's, let's not talk about hell. We'll talk about the blessings of God, but not the curses. And so on and so forth. But our faith is not a salad bar. Either we receive Jesus Christ and follow him, or we don't. And I think, I think the reason why many people view our faith in a way that you can pick and choose what you want to do is because they view Jesus Christ as a concept and not a person. Because if it's a concept, you can sort of take it and tweak it. What is that? Is there thunder inside of here? Yeah, if, it's, if, if Jesus Christ is a concept... You can take a concept and you can tweak it, right? You can, you can add stuff to it. You can take away from it and so on and so forth. But if it's a person, right? Like Tenjiwen. Like, that's Tenjiwen. That's Tenjiwen. Am I saying Tenjiwen right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Tenjiwen. No. See? Like, that, there she is. Take her or leave her. There's no tweaking. This, like, this is a package that comes together. And that's what Jesus Christ is. He's a person, not a concept. And to many people, when they think of Jesus Christ and the Christian faith, it's a concept. Where I take, I remove, I add a little, so on and so forth. And Jesus says, this is me. Take me as I am or leave me. Yet many who claim to follow Christ really mean that they will follow him as long as he's going in the same direction. And then when it comes to, ah, he doesn't like this, I'm going my own way. But yet again, as with Daniel, so it is with the cross. The thing designed for death, the, the thing designed for defeat and humiliation, for righteousness, is transformed to being defeat to the enemies of righteousness. And this symbol of death turns into a symbol of God's power and the faithfulness of Daniel, just like the faithfulness of Jesus sparks worship. All the nations, all the languages, they receive this letter, this random letter, all of a sudden Darius talking about this one God. We cannot be people who just talk about God and sing the praises of Jesus Christ, but follow, we have to follow in his footsteps. Wherever they lead, to take hold of faithfulness given to us by God to spark worship in others. 
Like when it comes to the term Christian, like I don't even know what it means anymore. There's a survey conducted by the Humanist Association here in Iceland like three years ago now, and they asked, uh, are you, would you consider yourself to be a Christian? And I don't remember exactly, but I think it was like 60% said yes. But then they asked those 60%, do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And I think 60% of the 60% said no. And you're like, what does it mean for you to be a Christian? I think I'm just going to stick with like follower of Christ or something. Because I think that's less unmistakable. Do you follow Jesus Christ? Does he, is he truly the Lord of your life? Have you ever thought about the word martyr? Anyone thought about that word martyr? It's just, it's a strange English word, right? Okay, maybe it was just me. Martyr. Uh, first of all, I thought there was a U in there. Like, why, why do you say martyr? Uh, when it's a Y, martyr, it should be. Um, it's taken from an old Greek word. And it literally, when you see a word in the Bible, and you, re you read your English Bible, and you read witness, that's the word, martyr. Now through the hardship of Daniel, he was a living witness about the power and overwhelming worth of God. No matter what the ending was to be, the suffering of Jesus Christ was a witness towards the faithfulness, grace, and justice of God. That through the suffering of those who come before us, they bore witness about their faith. And even today, like Daniel, people bear witness about the overwhelming worth of the grace of God by giving their own lives. That's their witness statement. Nah, I'm not, gonna, I'm not just going to say it with my words. I'm going to die for it. That's where the word martyr comes from. Just like the Christians, I was doing a little study on the Roman period, the first 300 years of the church. If you haven't read that, if you, uh, you can check it out in works like Eusebius. Um, but just like the Christians who were killed in the Roman era, in the Colosseums, eaten by animals in front of people for their enjoyment. They were tortured by them. Their witness ended up with a very different result than the Romans had in mind. Because they were thinking, if we torture these Christians in front of everyone, if we let everyone see them being eaten by lions, alive, screaming in pain, then surely it will cause everyone watching to think to themselves, stay away from this faith. It was designed to use fear to drive people away from Christianity, but the true result was that when they saw those people suffer and willingly die for their God, the question in many people's minds was, who is that God? Faithfulness doesn't have to look like a dangerous situation. It doesn't have to look like suffering or death. Faithfulness can be found in living a godly life. It has scared me a couple of times when people tell me that they've watched me and us, our church, to see if this was more than just words or a comforting message. Is there a transformed life? A transformed mind. Do these people just talk about God or do they follow God? And these people 
They see how you react in your situation where gossip is at play. They watch how you react in suffering and, they, and, and the effect it has on your worship and dedication to God. Now the faithfulness of the people of God points to the faithfulness of God and because of the faithfulness of the people of God, many worship with us today as brothers and sisters where that faithfulness has been used by God to spark worship in them. But Darius, at least with his words, when he saw that his power wasn't really powerful enough, and when he saw the power of God because of, their, of the faithfulness of Daniel, his whole kingdom gets to know about the God of Daniel. His view of himself has changed. He sees the limited uh, the limit of his own power when it comes to saving his friend Daniel, but he saw the power of God on display. That when Darius couldn't do a thing, God still could. God did not need to meet Daniel there. He didn't have to save him in that dark hole, but he did. Just as he did not need to meet, meet uh, Sadrach, Mesach, and Abednego. How do you say it? How do you say that? Huh? Abednego. Huh. That looks nothing like the name. Uh, Abednego. Okay. You've heard the story of them thrown into the fire, the furnace, supposed to die. They came out alive. Same thing. Their faithfulness caused the spark of worship in others. God didn't need to meet Abednego and Satrach and Mesach, but he did. Now, there's nothing in this chapter that says that Daniel knew what he was going into. There's nothing like God coming to Daniel saying, don't worry, I'll be with you, I will not let you die. But I imagine his mindset was very similar to his friends, Satrach, Mesach, and Abednego. Uh, in, in chapter 3 of the book of Daniel, it says, these are them speaking because they wouldn't worship the God that was set up for them to do it, worship. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, uh, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. What do they say? God is able, but just in case he doesn't, just know we think your God is stupid. Or, yeah, it's, that's the message translation. Uh, this account of the faithfulness of Daniel and the power of God is a sign pointing towards Jesus in so many ways. Like you read it and you see he was cast in a pit, closed off by a sealed stone. No one expected anyone to come out of there alive, yet it happened. Those with earthly power were powerless to stop it due to another group calling for the death of the righteous. What started as a situation calling for mourning ended up causing praise. The celebration of the enemies of God turned into their defeat. This account is not painting us as heroes, but rather pointing to the greater hero, Jesus Christ pointing towards a greater Daniel who suffered not for his righteousness, but rather the unrighteousness of others, despite a perfect life. 
and the grace of Jesus shown not only by the ability of God to delay the death of Daniel, but with his blood, Jesus Christ purchases and redeems souls forever. In Daniel 6, death was delayed. In Mark 16, death was defeated. An eternal life provided to every soul that trusts in the Savior Jesus Christ. And that gift is offered today. Will you put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord and become a follower of Jesus Christ? Not only worshiping with your lips or saying to yourself, I'm going to choose and pick what I want to do and then leave the other stuff out. But even when Jesus wants to lead you in another direction, you say, okay, I'll follow Christ. I've had so many conversations with humanists and atheists that find it ironic when they laugh at the different miracles in the Bible and the miracles I believe in. I find them ironic because I, like in those conversations, I can't help but think of our different worldviews. Um, and I think my worldview grants me a reason to be surprised when God does something like this miracle in the Bible. Like the reason we read about this is because this doesn't happen every Wednesday. Like, there's not every Wednesday someone is saved from the lion's den, even though they should have been devoured a long time ago. Something unusual has happened when a miracle takes place and the hand of God comes into play. But I think about the worldview of the humanist who doesn't believe in, the, you know, in a consistent and orderly God who creates a world to reflect his nature, who, a nature that is consistent in, in order. Like I think of all of the unanswered questions uh, from my humanist friends that sound to me like nothing but a series of miracles. How was everything created from nothing? How is it that all of the right conditions were met on earth to support life? How did non-living materials turn into a living material? How did consciousness emerge? Or morality, or logic, or science, human rights, or sacrificial love? What is it that caused any of these to emerge? To me, it sounds like their worldview is a chain of Constant miracles, one following the other. But then they laugh at me for believing in miracles. And I think, yes, I believe in miracles. And I've experienced a miracle. A miracle that far exceeds the saving of Daniel and the lion's den. But in a circumstance much more dangerous than the lion's den. A miracle that saved me from my sins and eternal suffering in hell. That's more than a temporary delay of death. That's eternal life. He defeated death. When we couldn't come to God, God came to us and took on flesh in Jesus Christ. He met me when I was like a person stuck in a sinking car and the water was coming in and I couldn't open the doors. I needed someone from the outside to come and open the doors for me and so God came in the personal work of Jesus Christ. And he opened the door so that I could live. But what I see, so many people, like it, what it seems like to me, 
God jumping in, opening the door, and they choose to stay in the car and just die. Now, if Daniel teaches us anything, God is always greater than our current situation. And we have a tendency to see the gravity of our troubles, but not the ability of our God. Uh, but when we remind ourselves of the overwhelming power and grace of God, our faithfulness becomes easier to obtain by the power of the Holy Spirit. And through our faithfulness, we can spark a praise in others around us. If you find yourself in a difficult place, never give up hope. Because our God is stronger than the current we face. And if you find yourself in an impossible situation, remember that if anyone has the ability to do the impossible, it is the God that you serve. Now in everything, let us remember the thoughts of Daniel and Sadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Yeah. No matter what the end result is, that we will be faithful towards God. We may not know what tomorrow is going to look like. We may not know the sacrifices that our faith will require of us. But no matter what, we always have to see the worth of Christ. Because this is something I do very often. Like I focus on how big my troubles are in life. And I focus on how big the current situation is. But I, I forget to focus on how great my God is. And I find it interesting that when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he started with, Our Father, who art in heaven, holy be your name. So I think that's a part of how prayer plays a role. So we stop for a moment in our situations, in our difficulties, and remember the greatness of God, how holy he is. Our God, who art in heaven, holy is your name. So let's remember that and let's follow this God, no matter what the cost may be. Let's pray.